what have we got going on today? Well, you know, some of the uh, interesting stories of the Old West are involve uh, around the Indians and the mm-hmm. and the pioneers, of course. And uh, over the course of the old history, Western history, is when uh, people got um, kidnapped oh, yes. by the Indians. Yes. And that was a threat, a big threat. It, it was, and it was a fear. And mm-hmm. uh, the thing that amazes me is how many groups broke off into wagon trains of maybe four or five or even one. Yeah. One wagon with your family heading west, to me, is uh, kind of foolish and, and dangerous. Well, kind of inviting, hey, hey I'm here, it, it come re- and get me. It really <laughs> is. So I'm going to tell you the story about the German sisters. That's their last name, German. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> All right. <laughs> here we go. So I want you to picture, it's a beautiful morning, September. The sun's just peeking over the horizon, and John German, his wife Lydia, and their seven children broke camp and prepared to continue their journey to Colorado. Now, this was in 1874. Now, the German family had spent the night camping along the Smoky Hill River uh, in northwest Kansas. But in 1874, that part of Kansas was unsettled. And again, as you go across there, you know that you're going to go days and days without ever seeing anybody. Yeah. As far as cabins or even other wagons. Well, as uh, German hooked his two oxen to the family wagon, he told his 19-year-old son, Stephen, and 17-year-old daughter, Catherine, to round up the family's six head of cattle. Uh, the animals had been left to graze in a nearby hollow during the night, which was, again, a common thing. You'd just turn them loose and the horses, and they wouldn't go very far. So, anyway, the two young people set out and were driving the cattle back toward the already moving wagon when a herd of antelope ran across the trail in front of them. Well, Stephen was about to shoot an antelope when he heard the unmistakable yells of Indians. Mm. Well, charging toward the unsuspecting family was a band of 17 Cheyenne on horseback. And now, if you're the father and you're in a wagon train or on your wagon and you see this, it's got to just oh, that's be, be harrowing. Uh, a horrible feeling. Yeah. So Indian, uh, the Indians were heading straight for the wagon, carrying the mother and five of the six daughters. The father was walking ahead of the wagon. He raised his rifle to fire at the Indians. But before he could pull the trigger, an arrow struck him. He died instantly, and a moment later, later his wife was dead. Mm. So now the parents are gone, and now these children, basically the oldest one being uh, 19. Uh, but then Stephen and Catherine, as I said, had left the cattle and were running away. Now, as St- Stephen reached a small rise, so did an Indian on horseback. Well, the boy never had a chance to use his rifle, and within uh, seconds, Stephen was dead. Now, another Indian chasing Catherine, she was a 17-year-old, fired an arrow. It struck the girl in her leg. The Indian jumped off his pony, pulled out the arrow, put the screaming girl on his horse, and rode back to the wagon. Now, there he pushed Catherine to the ground in front of her three younger sisters, who had not been harmed. Now, so here we have four girls, scared, crying, huddled together. There was 17-year-old Catherine, 12-year-old Sophia, 7-year-old Julia, and 5-year-old Nancy. Now, you can imagine, again, the horror of your parents are gone, dead, and here you are left and surrounded by Cheyenne Indians. Well, Nancy, the youngest, cried the loudest, uh, so loud, in fact, that it it annoyed one of the Indian braves. 
and he was about to kill the little girl when one of the two Indian women with the braves jumped in front and claimed the little girl as her own. So the warrior walked away and helped other Indians set fire to the wagon. So as we're picturing this, you know, I you might say, well, it's just Cheyenne warriors, but there were some uh, Cheyenne women with yeah. them as well. Yeah, because if they're hunting, the women go with them to help take care yeah. of the meat. And so this may have just been an opportunity. They thought, okay, here's a lone wagon. Yeah. We want their goods yeah. and their animals. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so the Braves rounded up the cattle and prepared to leave. Now, the two youngest girls, uh, the Indian woman who saved Nancy's life and her warrior husband, placed Nancy and Julia, the two, the two youngest, on their Indian ponies. Now, other braves put Catherine and Sophia on their horses. So the Indians and their captives headed south, leaving the bodies of John German, his wife and son, and two of his daughters lying on the Kansas prairie. Hmm. Uh, and again, just try, it's hard for us to even imagine the it horror yeah. of these. So. so we need to go back, though, and kind of get a start of how this all began. John and Lydia German came from Georgia. Now, after serving as a Confederate soldier in the Civil War, John had returned home and found it in shambles. Only his wife, children, and at that time he only had five children, and some livestock had escaped a guerrilla raid. And it was then that German decided, you know, I'm going to head west. Well, the German family spent three months in Tennessee. They uh, crossed Kentucky arriving in southwest Missouri in 1870. Now there, German and his growing family took a homestead, uh, but his health was not good, uh, Mr. Uh, John's health. So here we have the German family. They've left Tennessee. They are now in Missouri, where they have taken up a homestead. But uh, John German's health was not very good. So in 1873, he traded a homestead for two oxen, a covered wagon, and moved into southeastern Kansas. Now there, the family was pretty happy. They were enjoying life, but after about 10 months, uh, they feared their oldest daughter, Catherine, had a, some kind of a sickness, and they didn't really know what it was, but she was sick. So they set out to settle in Colorado because they felt that the weather and the climate would be better for Catherine's health. So here they go, setting off again, heading farther west. So here we are, August 15, 1874. The Germans and, uh, had left and headed west in their ox-drawn covered wagon with a few head of cattle, provisions, a feather bed, and a coop of chickens. And, you know, a lot of the settlers heading west not only had what pulled the wagons, but they also had, you know, several milk cows or uh, other animals, uh, horses, whatever. Yeah, they had to set up home when they got there. Right. They had to have everything they needed. So... Anyway, when asked about Indians, uh, the settlers assured the German family they would have no trouble. There had been no Indian raids in that part of Kansas for several years. So thus it was that the German family was in northwest Kansas, camped along what they call the Smoky Hill River, only one day from Fort Wallace, Kansas, when this Indian raid occurred. So they were kind of in between, but not close enough to, to civilization, really. So the Cheyenne band that swooped down on the family was led by an Indian by the name of Kicking Horse, one of many warriors under the Cheyenne chief by the name of Stone Calf. Now, not many weeks before this, Stone Calf's son had been killed at the Battle of Adobe Walls. And that is a whole other story, the Battle of Adobe Walls. You'll have to do that one and next I, week. I, I, 
we'll do that sometime. Yeah. But anyway, that was in what is today is the Texas Panhandle. So he had lost his son. So losing that battle with buffalo hunters and also losing his son made Stone Calf mad. So he declared war on all whites and began raiding over a big area of the Southern Plains. Now, the attack on the German family, which actually was the worst single Indian attack in Kansas history, was only one of many that were committed by Stone Calf's warriors. Hmm. So anyway, a few days after the German family attack, a hunter happened upon their bodies. He rushed into Sheridan, Kansas, and reported the massacre. And a detachment of soldiers was sent from Fort Wallace to recover the bodies. Now, the soldiers found all five, plus the half-burned wagon. They actually found the German family Bible. Now, ironically, it was unscorched. It had not been burned, even, oh, though, e- even though it had been in the wagon. Well, this was great because inside were the names and birth dates of all nine members of the family. Ah. So, it was then that the soldiers suspected the Indians had taken captives since only five bodies were found. Right. So, you know, uh, an amazing Otherwise, they would not have known. No, no. They would have just figured this was the whole family. They were gone. Well, as news of the attack spread across western Kansas, other soldiers from other posts were sent out to look for the Indians. But the Cheyenne traveled only by night. They spoke in whispers at all times and took little time to eat during the daylight hours. Well, the Cheyenne band headed south as fast as they could. Now, there was an Indian woman watching over the two young German girls, and she tried to roast some buffalo meat, uh, which was well done, it says, uh, over a small fire for Julia and little Nancy. These are the two little ones. She also made a mixture of buffalo tallow, salt, and some of the flour that the Indians had taken in the raid. But the little girls would not eat. Now, again, you can imagine they're scared to death. Oh, sure. You're being offered something that you don't know what it is. Right. And you've just, never eaten it before. No, terrified. So, anyway, for the German girls, the trip south, it was pretty rough. Uh, the Indians kept running across tracks made by soldiers looking for them. So, the warrior and the Indian women caring for the two younger girls, they started to get a little tired of the children. Now, you can, again, a five-year-old yeah. on horseback trying Wanting to keep... mama. Yeah, and crying and sad. And anyway, not uh, finally not far from a place called P- Pampa, Texas, uh, the two Indians simply left the two young German girls on the plains and continued on their way. Oh, that would be terrifying, so too. Here, so here we are, seven-year-old Julia and five-year-old Nancy to fare for themselves miles from civilization. Nobody around. For miles and miles. They just left them. Oh, my gosh. So, to me, here's a story of bravery and, and courage. Uh, but after the Indians rode off, the little girls wandered until they found a wagon trail. They followed it to a creek and found an old camp that had been used by soldiers maybe only a week or two earlier. Okay. So, the two girls found some old hardtack. They found some corn and some meat scraps that had been left. Now, with these... And it's a wonder that was there, because the wolves and right. stuff would have beaten a lot of that. Exactly. So, with these, uh, plus they found wild grapes, uh, hackleberries, which I don't know what those are. I'm not sure. Wild onions and young blades of grass, Julia and Nancy kept alive. Now, here again, I'm thinking, here's a five-year-old and seven-year-old that knew enough uh, to live off the land, basically. So... Meantime, the Indians with the two older German sisters had arrived at Stone Calf's main camp, uh, the Cheyenne Camp. There was about 300 lodges on the snake, state plains, and this was probably somewhere in northeastern New Mexico. Uh, 
Now there, the two older German girls were separated and forced to do the work of Indian women. They gathered firewood, they sewed shirts and dresses with bone, needle, and thread of buffalo sinew, and they cooked food. So they were basically almost kind of like a slave-like situation. Well, not many days after arriving in camp, word reached Stonecalf that the military was demanding the return of the first of the four girls. Well, at once, he gave orders to find the two younger girls left on the prairie. So on November 7, 1874, a party of about 200 Cheyenne finally located the little girls in this makeshift camp by the creek. The girls were weak, but they were alive. Well, the following day, as the Indians were returning to Stone Calf with the two children, a detachment of nearly 100 soldiers under the command of Lieutenant Frank Baldwin saw the Indians and attacked. Now, here again, imagine, here's these little girls with the Indians. There's a battle going on, and they're in the middle of this whole thing. Again? Yeah. Now, the battle lasted five hours. Oh, my. Now, some of the Indians escaped, but the two girls were actually rescued. Their cheeks were hollow. They were almost starved. They were skinny, but they were alive. And Nancy, the one that was five, she obviously was in bad shape mentally. She, oh, yeah. I mean, she'd gone through seeing her family killed, being with the Indians, and then trying to survive on the prairie. Now, Julia, the one that was seven, actually seemed a little more calm, a little more, uh, I guess, mentally handling this situation. Well... The soldiers clothed the girls and took them to Camp Supply Indian Territory. Their officers' wives fed and clothed them and began nursing the little girls back to health. Now, later they were taken north to Fort Dodge, Kansas, and then east to Fort Leavenworth on the Missouri River. Now, at Stone Calf's camp on the Staked Plains, a Mexican trader saw the two older girls as he passed through the camp one day. Well, when the trader told Army Scouts, General Nelson Miles lost no time in sending a message to Stonecalf demanding that the Indians surrender and return the two captives alive. Well, so here we are, the winter of 1874. It was cold, uh, rough on the southern plains. The Indians had not received their usual supplies from the government, and even their horses were suffering. Uh, and it didn't take Stonecalf long to realize it would be best to surrender. So, But there was another chief, kind of a lesser chief, and his name was Graybeard, who was holding 12-year-old Sophia, and he wanted better terms. He wanted more ransom, so to speak. So Stonecalf sent five Indians to Fort Sill Indian Territory to see what kind of terms they might get. Stonecalf told 17-year-old Catherine what he was doing. Well, a few days later, a friendly Kiowa Indian visiting the Cheyenne camp gave Catherine a photograph showing Julia and Nancy at Fort Leavenworth. So on the back, General Miles had written a message to Catherine telling her don't be discouraged. Efforts are being made to get you freed. So at that point, she knew that her two younger sisters were still alive. So, and so now she had something to live for. Yeah. And so, you know, it'd been, uh, it may have been this tempting or continued bad weather or something else that changed Graybeard's mind because within a short time, he also agreed to surrender because he had the other girl. Anyway, on February 26, 1875, Stone Calf and the other chiefs and 1,600 Cheyenne surrendered at Cheyenne Agency Indian Territory. Catherine and Sophia were released. Now, by this time, Catherine German weighed 80 pounds, Sophia 60 pounds, and here we have teenage girls that, oh my gosh, you that's, know, oh, all, almost wow. starved to death. But anyway, they, they were taken to the mission school where they remained for some time. And it was there they were told that their parents, brother, and two sisters were killed in the Indian raid and had since been buried in Kansas. 
Well, when the summer of 1875 arrived, Catherine and Sophia, the two older girls, were taken to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, where they were reunited with the two younger sisters, who had since pretty much recovered from their ordeal. Now, an interesting thing here, Congress actually appropriated $2,500 each for Nancy and Julia, the interest to be used for education and maintenance until they became of age when the principal would revert back to them. So each of the two younger girls actually got $2,500. But the two older ones not. Well, huh? oh, we're getting to that. <laughs> <laughs> now, as for the two older sisters, Catherine and Sophia, they were actually given 10000 Oh, wow. Which, back in the 1870s... That's a lot of money. That's a a huge amount. Yeah. But the money was taken from government funds appropriated for the Cheyennes. So it was money that would have gone to the Cheyennes, to the reservation, to supply. But instead, they appropriated it for the two older girls. Well, for a while, the German sisters lived with a family called Patrick Corney uh, in Kansas. Julia and Nancy later were uh, graduated from the Sabetha Kansas High School Nancy attended the University of Kansas and later married a guy by the name of Frank Andrews, a farmer near uh, in Kansas, and became the mother of 11 children. Oh, my goodness. So Catherine married a guy by the name of Amos, and I'm not even going to try to say his last name, because, uh, <laughs> and, but they lived in California where she died in 1932. Sophia married a guy named Albert Feldman and spent most of her remaining life on a farm south of Humboldt, Nebraska, where she died in 1947, hmm. not that long ago. Julia married uh, first a guy named Howard Reese and then a guy named Albert Brooks and lived in California, where she died in 1959 at the age of 92. Oh, my goodness. And she was the last of the four German sisters who survived the Indian raid of 1874. Wow. So talk about a miracle uh, rescue, the right circumstances, the right people seeing these girls um, with the Indians, and, and of course, the, the, the military dedicated to finding and rescuing these girls. Exactly. So Well, and to survive that starvation, that deprivation, uh, that's pretty amazing too. Well, and and you think about the posterity Mm -hmm. of the German family, which could have been totally wiped out. Oh, sure. Now, I'm sure numbering into the hundreds. Oh, yeah. It would be fascinating uh, if somebody from that family uh, out there would Give us a call and say, hey, that was my grandmother. That was my great-grandmother. Exactly. Uh, Well, I looked up really quickly to see what hackberries were, and it says it's probably huckleberries uh, that uh, when they used to say it, it was H-E-C-K, and so people might have misinterpreted that to be huckleberries, which are a form of blueberries and very nutritious. Okay. And, uh, and huckleberries are wonderful. I like huckleberry bonbons. Those are my favorite. So, so you can imagine these, yeah. you know, this family going across the prairie like yeah. they did. They, uh, they lived off what they could in the land. Exactly. You know? They did. So uh, these, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, they'd obviously been picking these berries before yeah. their family was killed. So they knew how to survive. Yeah, so they knew that those were edible and, and yeah. safe to eat. And, you know, that's the thing is nowadays, if we were to have to walk out into the wilderness, out into the forest, and have to survive without our refrigerators, without our freezers, I dare say the majority of us would starve to death. Yes. You know, uh, I'm just going to mention a couple of other people that were kidnapped by Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those that are interested in reading a, a good book, there's one called The Blue Tattoo. 
this is a story about a, a, a young lady named Olive Oatman. And a similar situation. They were heading, heading towards uh, New Mexico with wagons. And slowly they dropped out until there was only one wagon. And that was the Oatman family. Once again, they were attacked by Indians. Um, the two girls, Olive and Mary, were taken captive. Their older brother had been uh, beaten up and thrown down a hill. They thought he was dead, but he re- he wasn't. Oh my goodness. He actually survived. But Olive and Mary actually lived with the uh, – ended up with the Navajo. The, they were with a uh, another group of Indians. I don't recall their name, but uh, they ended up with the Navajos who treated them very well, actually. And uh, – I know people have seen pictures. In fact, I think there's a, a TV show now that shows uh, Olive Oatman, and she has a tattoo on her chin. Oh, I yes. I don't yeah. know if you've seen yeah, that. I have. That's the true story of Olive Oatman, and I, I haven't seen the TV version. I don't know what. Oh, I'm trying to think of what that was. But uh, she actually uh, was rescued at, at one point, but mm-hmm. it was difficult because here was another situation where uh, a captive had – uh, embraced the Indian lifestyle, mm-hmm. but now she's back into the white man's lifestyle and didn't quite fit either one. Yep. Now Longmire is the series that she's oh, in. Oh, okay. Yep. Now, another book, if uh, for those listening, that is really good is called Follow the River. And I don't remember the name of the author, but it's about a st- the story of a, a gal by the name of Mary Ingalls. Now, Mary uh-huh. Ingalls, now, th- I don't think this is not the same one that we think of in oh, really? Little, House Little House on the House Prairie. Oh, really? Little House on the Prairie? Different no. Ingalls, huh? Okay. No. So Mary Ingalls, uh, was, uh, th- they were living in cabins. They were uh, uh, farmers, and uh, but on the on the edge of civilization. They were mm-hmm. attacked by Indians. Uh, a number of them were killed. Mary and her sister-in-law and Mary's two little kids and another man were, were uh, kidnapped by the Indians. Mary uh, actually... In the two weeks that they took them for to get to their camp, to the Indian camp, actually delivered a baby on that during that two oh week my period. And uh, th- this was a uh, an, another interesting book. It's called "Follow the River" for those who want to read it. Uh, but it tells about Mary and another lady that actually escaped and traveled this river uh, to return to their families. Wow. Uh, it's an amazing story. Yeah, it, it amazes me the survival rate of the pioneers or of the the Western movement that we had back in the 1800s that even half survived with all of the things that happened. Yeah. Well, the survival of no food, sometimes yeah. no water, uh, no means of transportation. Yeah. Uh, the heat, the storms. Yeah. The cold. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this Mary Ingalls and the woman that she was with, it was it would snow on them. They had no yeah. uh, blankets, and they, you know. Anyway, that, that's an interesting book as well for those that want yeah, to find that. It, it just like say it absolutely amazes me that our forefathers survived life alone yeah. uh, to come out here to the West and to be driven to come out here and and settle so that we could be here. Yes. Well, and if you think of some of the people that came from Europe, like mm-hmm. especially like England, that is green mm-hmm. and lush and beautiful, yeah. and uh, be riding on a wagon and come into the uh, Oakley Valley or Malta area or yeah. and see nothing but sagebrush and dirt yep. and dust, and yep. it could be a little shock oh, to your yeah. system. Yeah, my husband and I cleared the sagebrush on the land that we were at, that we have, and oh, turn that toggle switch right there. No, nope, that that one. There we go. There we go. <laughs> and uh, we cleared the sagebrush there, so. And we did it in modern day times with, 
uh, pickup and stuff like that. I cannot imagine with uh, grubbing that off like they did. Um, Amazing. So what are we going to do next week? That's a good question. question. I'll know about next Sunday or Monday. (laughs) Or or Tuesday morning. Or Tuesday morning. (laughs) And I don't know if Zeb will be with us next week or just what. We kind of play things a little bit by ear. And and we appreciate you. So uh, they can follow you. Uh, Don't you have a CD or some information available that people can follow you? The CD that I have is here for Cashew County. You can get it at the museum or at the Chamber of Commerce. Okay. You, it's a two-CD set, and I tell stories of Indian battles, the wagon trains, the Oregon Trail, mm-hmm. the stories behind how Elba, Malta, Declo got their names. Okay. And you just make a loop through Declo, Alba, and Elba, City of Rocks, over to Oakley, and back to Burley. And you can spend all day doing that or maybe Drive a half a day. <laughs> yeah, so that's to. available. And then, of course, our uh, webpage, dr-history.com, where... Okay. We've got probably over 100 stories on there right now. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming in and being with us today. Glad to be here. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.